Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the long-awaited pre-training camp Rider Rumblings. After oh, nearly 600 days, we can finally talk about the Rough Riders returning to the field rather imminently. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I have with us our uh, venerable football writer, Murray McCormick, who will uh, handle the entire podcast while I drink water. Uh, Murr, uh, it's been a long time since we covered a football game, November 17th. 2019. Um, I, normally, I'm kind of a sourpuss regards, with regards to training camp. Yeah, it's an exciting time in most years, but it's like, okay, let's just get to the regular season. I always get, I, I want to just get done with the, finish with the appetizers and get to the main course right away. This is the most I've looked forward to a training camp since I was about 12. Uh, what are your sentiments? I kind of feel the same way, and if I can really admit it, I'm kind of sad I'm not in Saskatoon. I know it's the protocol. I'm sad you're not in Saskatoon too, Mer. I know. I kind of wish I was in Saskatoon for training camp. People will know the uh, my other persona, the football foodie, sure likes to eat out and enjoy a good meal. And it's also kind of looking forward to getting away. We I've been here since haven't gone anywhere since March eighth, two thousand and twenty, when we got back from Mexico. But yeah, I'm excited. It's it's kind of a different sort of excitement. Like, who thought we'd be here where we are with with the coronavirus? Like. I never thought we'd be pondering on we go to Sunday, we won't have to wear masks, we're going to have unlimited crowds. We just kind of always made these huge strides in the last month that it's still hard to get your head around the fact that we may be normal by the time the Rough Riders play a home game on August 6th. We may be just a regular, it will never be regular, I know that, but we'll always be kind of wondering. But yeah, I'm getting, you and I, you gave me a little bit of a pep talk yesterday because I forgot about the preparations for training camp and everything about all the, uh, things that go into that, and I gave me a pep talk and kind of got me going. So, well, I'm going to bring you down today then, so I, I can't, oh, I can't, I can't let you, you feel too good about things. Yeah, yeah, because we, we, we really have to go with who we really are, and we really are a couple of cynics and sourpusses, and to be optimistic and always smiling and looking forward to things really goes against a whole lot of our uh, our backgrounds. But it is exciting, and, uh, you know, there's, there are reasons for excitement. You know, I'm, I'm reasons, gatherings, seeing people. I don't think I've been around a more than five people, well, sorry, my family, or not at 12 or, or 11 of us. That's the biggest crowd I've been around since football ended. So it's going to be a whole other world. Well, you know what's neat? Uh, the other night I went and watched uh, the Regina Lady Softball Association at the Douglas Park Diamonds. And there was like 20, 30 people watching the game. And uh, it was so cool to watch a softball game, to watch a live sporting event. didn't matter that there were, you know, only 30 people there. Uh, it was just exhilarating to just sit there and watch pitching and batting and you know hearing the the cheering and 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 only the catcher was wearing a mask and uh so i can't imagine what it's going to be like on saturday uh with i think this as big a testament to normalcy as we can have in saskatchewan uh and then sunday will really it's interesting the way the timing works because saturday there will be some restrictions and then day two it'll be okay um uh I think it should resemble normalcy uh, uh, to more of a degree and that at least the masks potentially can be shed. Uh, there, there'll still be a lot of restrictions. It's like, for example, no fans are allowed at training camp, at least for the first week. 
and uh, all the interviews, etc., will be done via Zoom. So there'll be some differences that the, the media will have to get used to. And well, then what we got to remember, too, is that more than ever, we're the eyes and ears of the public. Nobody can go to the training camp workouts, at least in the early stages. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we have an obligation. Uh, well, actually, I don't. You have an obligation. Yeah. Does that mean you're going to start watching cap- practice? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to watch practice and uh, and also text all my friends, which won't take yeah. long. So, um, I mean, I just, it's, it's, uh, what really hit me too the other night, uh, watching the Stanley Cup final yeah. and seeing the Tampa Bay fans rejoicing and nary an empty seat in the entire building. It's like, okay, is that what Mosaic Stadium's going to look like on August 6th? And for the first, you know, four home games, <laughs> for the first four games of the season, which are all at home, uh, you know, we're, we're so used to being encumbered by, there's still only one direction we can walk around Wascana Lake, for example. We're going to go from that within the space of a month to potentially 32,000-plus people at Mosaic Stadium. So uh, it's such a rapid flicking of the switch. And uh, not without risk, not without some apprehension, because there's no precedent for this in our lifetimes. But uh, um, it will we'll be going from zero to 60 pretty quickly around here. It's just a, a month ago, we probably wouldn't even consider there be there might be a few not thousand fans in the stands if there are that many. Like we kind of were anticipating, you and I might have the most choice seats in the province that we could be actually at the game. There weren't going to be anybody there to go right now to thirty three thousand. It's just sort of crazy. Like yeah, let's bring it on. Let's. And I, I people are still going to have to adapt. I think. I know what people are like saying cash is not going to be used anymore. It's all going to be. I think it's all going to be in debit and ATMs and stuff. It's going to be a whole other world. On how you how you buy a drink and that kind of stuff. So there's going to be some real adaptations for fans going to games. But I think Bitcoin. Been, <laughs> I, I think we've been dealing enough with the coronavirus and, the, and what we've had to adjust to. Now that it maybe doesn't seem as big a deal. Like you know, you're used to paying. Like I finally I had a I had a twenty dollar bill in my wallet since the, the uh, pandemic started, and I finally broke it the other day because I just never use money anymore. So it's going to be people going to games. We're going to have to remember to bring their credit cards with them and be prepared to spend money that way. So there's going to be adaptions. There's going to be going to the games. And I think uh, we, we, look, we touched on that in the paper that there's going to be no on-field entertainment. Everything is about mitigating. I've covered the seasons risk. when there's been no on-field entertainment. Mark. <laughs> yeah, between that, the Doesn't that like 2015 to us? Sorry. <laughs> I heard of that one, yeah. <laughs> there'll be so, no cheerleaders. So, so priceless. Yeah, there'll be no cheerleaders. I think this is one of the longer conversations we've had face to face too. But we are on the other side. Anyway, there'll be no cheerleaders. I'm not 100 sure if gainers allowed on the field. Gainers on the, the concourse, I think. I think on the concourse. So the, all those things that you've been going to games and you're used to seeing, it's just going to be the players on the field. So that's going to be an adaptation. I'm sure the riders are all preparing some way to keep people engaged between plays. But it's going to be wild. And I, I've said this before. If you don't end up a little teary-eyed, a little choked up on that day, I don't think uh, <laughs> I get choked up talking about it. I, I don't think you're human. I don't, I don't think you realize what's going on in this world, how how many things have been taken away from us and we've lost and friends we've lost. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, ordinarily, we would be saying hello to Warren Woods in the press box. And yeah. Warren would be on the second row on the far, uh, on the far north end of the press box. Mm-hmm. Always sat in the same place. And it'll be weird going to a rider game and not seeing Warren Woods there. And it's I mean really so many people have touched uh, have been touched by this and and uh and uh you know my my sister's entire family got sick. 
yeah. we've all we all know somebody, and so uh, hopefully we can you know think of them with a bit of a smile and, and give them a nod, and uh, and then you know know that uh, at least there's going to be better days ahead, and uh, have an appreciation for things that we were once uh, we once took for granted. Uh, going to training camp, I, you know, in, <laughs> I don't think you've uh, been in eight years. <laughs> it's always been in Saskatoon. I, I went once when we went up there to shoot a video, but uh, it'll be neat to see training camp again. And uh, I used to go every day with my dog Snowball when I was in uh, elementary and high school, and they practiced out at the U of R. So this will – I'm not allowed to take candy this time. But uh, Well, I know you're not going to be able to rip a preseason game, your traditional rip job. On yeah, it's easy. Oh, this is terrible. Let's get to the opener. Who, who are so these no, guys? And you look at how long they're going to be in camp for, and – I've seen how structured camp is. That's going to be an adjustment for the players because they've had for their, what, 600 days, it's been rather free, you know, yeah. as normal human beings. And now for how long is it starts on the 10th and it runs runs through to maybe, you know, I'm thinking the end of the month. That's a long time of, because training camp is scripted. There's no time for, oh, free time to enjoy the pool or something like that. It's just that there's, every moment is accounted for. And the, the coaches are catching up on two years, so. There's, it'll be interesting to see how the players get through the long grind and what coaches do to give them a break from all of that. And they're not they're playing football and they're practicing football, which they love to do, but it's still a long haul without Fewer a day coaches. off. And, I don't think there'll be guest coaches anymore, so that's no. going to be interesting. Uh, so uh, let's delve into what the coaches are going to have to look at. Um, what are the key, what are the big questions that you have going into going into camp? Um, I mean, there's uh, – Who is going to be the starting the, quarterback, Rob? That's the big question. Well, there's questions that about the Coach Pajardo and that can he do it again. That's um, the big question. Can he, that's can that's a big question. But there's going to be a lot of interest in who's number two. Yeah. Uh, you know, Isaac Harker, I think, has proven that he can he can certainly answer the bell if need be. He won one of the most important regular season home games I've ever been to on November 2nd, 2019, beating – helping the riders beat Edmonton going 23 for 28 for 213 yards. So, uh, and engineering what turned out to be a game winning drive, but suddenly there's Paxton Lynch in town yes. and there's Mason, Mason fine. And there's Tom Flacco. So, uh, you know, wading through all that, who is number two and, and they're only likely going to be dressing two quarterbacks this year. Exactly. So that's, that's going to be interesting to follow. Especially Paxton Lynch. Like I, I, before Paxton Lynch showed up, I'd kind of assumed that Isaac Harker was the number two guy. And I don't, I still think he is second on the depth chart right now to Paxton Lynch show something. But a former first round pick with some pretty good credentials, other than what he did on the field, because <laughs> obviously he didn't do very well on the field and didn't kind of live up to the, as being a first round pick. But I'm, I'm really curious to see, I, I'm bit, and I, I guess I should have done some journalistic work. Has there been a six, seven quarterback in the CFL in our lifetime? No, no, I don't, not my time. Six seven two forty. That's a massive man, and well, they've got a defensive end, Pete Robertson, in camp, who's two hundred and forty three pounds. So they have a defensive end whose weight is equal to that of a quarterback. He's kind of like there's, right. there's five six. The tallest players in camp. There's five who are six foot seven. Four of them are offensive linemen. And then there's Paxton Lynch. So, so what I mean, kind of six seven quarterback? How mobile? But he's he's mobile. I uh, will see the story coming in a little while. I talked to a former rider who who played at Memphis with uh, Paxton Lynx and was a training. You think about golf again? Sorry, you said Lynx. You're thinking oh, about Lynx? golf again? I must be thinking about this. Jesus, don't say I'd love to be golfing today. Uh, 
you know, he, he played with Paxton Lynch at uh, at Memphis, and he was also a training camp, and we'll bring this name up, Vince Young, probably one of the most I don't know, unfortunate or busts. Like, is he a bust? I don't even know if he got close enough to being a bust. He well, they had a guy. press conference to announce the signing of a guy who uh, never made it past the inter-squad game, so that constitutes a bust. And I, you know, it's funny, when I was talking to this guy, we were, we were chatting about Vince Young. I never, and I still never saw Vince Young unload a pass. He never really threw a hard pass. Even these little short five to six, seven yards underneath routes, middle routes. I never, I always thought, why wouldn't he let it loose? And then he tears his hamstring in a relatively innocuous play, and we never got to final. So I've always, and maybe when someone asked me to look back my days and among question rugs, I said, I always wonder what Vince Young could have done, but we'll never find out. And I wonder, uh, Paxton is a lot younger. I think he's 27, isn't he, Rob? Yeah, just, yeah and Vince so Young he, was, was 34, yeah. I think, very early in camp that year. But, yeah. um, and, but one thing that intrigues me is, are there going to be Vince Young equivalents in that uh, when he showed up, at least at that press conference, he wasn't in football shape. Now, mm-hmm. these players have had a hiatus of over a year and a half. Uh, is there going to be any, are there going to be any surprises when, when players show up and suddenly who, someone you thought was a defensive back looks like a defensive tackle? <laughs> well, I think you're the only guy in, in COVID that lost weight. So 108 pounds. 108 pounds. So good for you. Congratulations. I think I found some. Pounds between Rough Rider games. I found some of them. So. <laughs> Bad on you. I'm not so happy with you right now, but I, I am interested to see what kind of shape. I'm also kind of interested to see what kind of practices we have for the first start because, as I mentioned, it's a long practice, so there could be a few days of just walkthroughs as guys get used to. They've been training and whatnot, but they're getting used to be, being on their feet, wearing cleats, wearing pads, wearing helmets. They have to adjust it, and I know it's been part of their life, but it's still been 600 days since they've had it, and some of them even longer. Since they've had equipment on, so there's and they got to hold down jobs. You know, they're not they're not like the NFL players who can just devote all the all their time, given the resource resources they possess, to working out. They can squeeze in some workouts, but they still got some some jobs, and a lot of them were making CFL minimum and then going back down to the states. So they have to feed their families, and and that that probably precludes them from spending four or five hours a day training. Uh, So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I, I wonder. So they have to bring them on slowly because I think you have to worry about uh, soft tissue injuries like poles and those kind of things as guys get used to things. And I know, and I, some of the guys that talk to you, just may find this funny, your feet get sore because you're wearing cleats. You know, you're standing on, it's, 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 the grass is pretty soft and mosaics is good turf, but things, a minor thing like that. So it'll be interesting to see how, they, how the coaches adjust to that. I know in the past, ice baths were mandatory. And I don't, you ever watch guys going to ice bath? It's not a fun thing. They just, but Chris Jones, you said you have to do your ice bath. So there, those would be things they have to get used to and have to adjust to. But I think one of the advantages is the rough riders have everything they're used to having at Mosaic Stadium. There's no adjusting to going to Saskatoon or Griffith Stadium and those kind of things. They're all going to be there and all the facilities are in Mosaic Stadium. And when we built this stadium, wasn't the reason, one of the reasons was to have training camps here, wasn't it? Part of the. It was. They like to go to U of S, but one of they want to have everything at Mosaic Stadium, and they're going to be able to do all that, which is going to be crazy, crazy, crazy. I don't Can you know. imagine trying to do all this at Taylor Field? Oh. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, um, does not lend itself to social distancing at all. But yeah. um, beyond the quarterbacking, I mean, who's going to protect Everything's the fine. quarterback? They're all good. They're all good. You know, uh, the uh, the um, I think my dog made a cameo there. That was Candy, um, who I have uh, not yet introduced formally. Well, the other uh, big question is, what do they, how do they replace Brendan Labatt? And I know Brendan yeah. Labatt 
is older and was kind of he's on the tail end of his career and he chose not to come back which i think you know he's opting out with the window with the option of coming back if things change i don't know how he can do that but there's there's he's he was a big part of that offensive line. i think he said a couple more years left in him i still think he does have a couple of more years left in him so but you got the left guard and then you go oh no what are they going to do and then you think man what a genius move by Jeremy O'Day by signing Evan Johnson. He's a left guard. He's a stud. He's one of the, this, he's a U of S kid. He's only 26. He's got a huge upside against him. He's played left guard. So they, boom, they park him right in at left guard, create an option now. What are they going to do at right guard? Because the things have changed a little bit. Brett Boyko is a former tackle, but he can play that spot. So I think they're, they're kind of things. So the interior of the line would be Brett Boyko, Dan Clark, and Evan Johnson. So they're going to have some, they're going to keep going with that same Canadian depth. So let's give uh, Jeremy O'Day credit for th- maybe possibly thinking ahead. Like Brendan Labatt says he made the decision on the Saturday before the quarantine not to come. But I wonder if Grand J- uh, Jeremy O'Day was looking ahead and thinking, whoa, maybe this is an opportunity. I remember, too, that they drafted uh, Matlin Riley, Riley. In, yeah. in the first round uh, a year ago. Uh, Brendan Labatt spoken very highly of Logan Furland. Um, yeah. Josiah St. John is still around. And, yeah, and he's a guard. as much as he's been maligned, when they've had to plug him in, uh, he hasn't performed terribly. Okay. So uh, one thing about Brandon Labatt is that you got to remember in 2019, the Riders finished first, and they didn't have him for most of the season. Yeah, now, they did have uh, a wealth of, of, of backups. You know, Darius Bladex was there. Philip Blake was there. They had Dakota Shepley, who's now in the NFL. Great Braden Schramm. So they've, they've lost some of the reinforcements there, but the Riders are not unaccustomed to trying to get by without uh, Brendan Labatt. That was most of the 20, 2019 season. So, uh, and, and then and they fared pretty well, obviously, without him. Now they'd be much better with him. I wonder if he might be their version of Kucherov, that at some point in the year he, uh, he resurfaces <laughs> so as restrictions loosen up. He said he wants to spend the summer with his family and with his kids. And, uh, and kudos to him for, for doing that. But once the fall gets here, um, and presumably the, 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 some of the restrictions or more of the restrictions that the players are currently under will be lifted, does that create a situation whereby it's uh, Brendan Labatt can be, you know, injected back into the lineup? Not to, not unlike was the, the case uh, that not like uh, not unlike the scenario that uh, unfolded in 2019 when he rejoined the yeah. team after injury, after being missing the first portion of the season with injury. So I don't think it's unrealistic to think they're going to get Brandon Labatt back as uh, life returns to normal for, for the players because they're going to be under such stringent uh, restrictions, yeah. at least in the early stages. I can see why he would find, he and others would find that uh, unappetizing. Well, how many guys, you know, we they kind of joke, have missed training camp on purpose because they just, what does he need to prove in a training camp? What does he need to do for all of the days that's left in training camp? But I, as a media guy, we always kind of liked having Brendan around, and I give him because he was always very insightful. I remember doing negotiations of collective bargaining agreements. He understood them inside and out. Him and Jeremy O'Day used to be so so helpful for us when we try to discern and figure out what this what this means in the CBA. So, as a media person, come on back, Brendan. We really like you. But get, we'll get to know Brendan, Evan Johnson, and these other guys. There's going to be some good changes. And I think the other question too is, is who plays right tackle. I mean, yeah. Karen Vaughn is, is, will be the left tackle. Kobe Cofield is retired. They've got a number of American tackles. And American tackles aren't the toughest guys to find. Yeah. Um, 
But I would lean towards Cameron Jefferson. You know, if I was going to say, if I was going to just because he looks like he played a bit last year, he's one of these guys. But there's also all sorts of names. There's guys with NFL experience there, so they they all have some NFL experience, Rob. But not not a lot of great NFL experience, but they all have seem to have some NFL experience. Receiving core, I mean, they've it's experience, but it's not. Um, They've, I mean, they've got their two. Arguably, their two top pass catchers back in Shaq Evans and Kyron Moore. They're going to miss Naaman Roosevelt and the reliability he provided, especially on second down. He, he had ceased to be a, a downfield threat, and he only scored one touchdown, I think, in his last 20-some games with the Rough Riders. So uh, he had really stopped being a red zone threat, too. But on second and nine, as a move oh, yeah. to the chains guy, he was invaluable to Cody Fajardo in 2019, as he was to to uh, you know Kevin Glenn and Brandon Bridge and Zach Kalaros, et cetera. So, well, look, at, look at the rate replacement. I really think it's going to be Jordan Williams-Lambert. It's going to yeah. And let's see what he can do as a slot back. He was miscast as a wide receiver. That's like kind of me being a ballerina. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> what was going on, what was going on in their minds. I guess they just wanted to get him on the field and get him stuff. But he wasn't happy to be out there. He wasn't utilized out there. Bring him closer to the quarterback. Take advantage of that big body. Take advantage of that experience. Look what he did in 2018 and say, yeah, Here's a guy that can maybe make some big contributions at slot back. And then there's also Justin McGinnis was another guy. McGinnis was the other guy who played wide receiver. He could be moving to slot back too, the Canadian guy, him and Brady and Lenius. You know, they have some good Canadian talent that can maybe even go that other slot back position. You know, Jake Hardy, uh, Terrell Jan is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah. He, I'm, I'm, he may he may leapfrog everyone Canadian wise. Can I cheer a little bit for Jake Hardy? Because I saw when Absolutely. he hurt his knee in that first day of training camp and went. Oh no! Here's a guy. He just he finally gets a chance to be a free agent. Finally gets a chance to play a to play, and he blows his knee out on the first day of training camp. And I can still close my eyes and see that and go, oh. So I'm, I'm Jake. I don't know if he'll watch this or not. But I'm cheering for him. I hope he does well. You know, he got he didn't get he plus then he hurts it again the next year training for the season. Yeah. So I mean, it's sort of a raw bag type story. Yeah, uh, without the good stuff in between. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So we've dealt with running back. Uh, William, Powell. William Powell is 33. He's not a real high mileage back in that his peak, his best years in the CFL started in his late 20s. So yeah. there's not the tread on the tires that one would expect from a 33-year-old. But you still don't know. When you're opening the season with a 33-year-old running back, you just don't know. Um, 19, 1996, Robert Mims rushed for about 1,400 yards and was named the most outstanding player in the West Division for the Rough Riders. Uh, he was 32 years old. Yeah. 1997, Robert Mims returned and uh, eventually was replaced by Mike Saunders. So 32 to 33 is an interesting transition for a, for any player, but for a running back uh, especially, uh, that's, a very, that's a pretty precarious age. And when you consider that he hasn't played football for a year, that might be beneficial in that there's a lot of recuperative time, or it might be to his detriment in that maybe there's just there's rust that's uh, – it's kicked in like a, a tenth of a second is crucial in football. And if you lose that tenth of a second, especially as, as a running back or as a ball carrier, you're in trouble. So and he's kind of stocky, and I wonder what he did to keep in shape. I'm not saying that, but imagine you're, it's a natural human action to for that much time off to not train as hard. Like, how do you train knowing there's not knowing there's going to be a season or knowing there isn't a season? So I think that's what we got to watch for is guys that maybe put on some weight or maybe maybe they're, they're professional athletes. They know how to look out to their bodies, but just see how they adjust to a whole year off and what kind of shape they show up in training camp. And I'm not, 
insinuating they're going to show up out of shape or anything like that. I'm just saying it's human nature that, you know, you may slack off a little bit because you got to work. Yeah. You know, these guys all had to make money. They're not, they're not the NFL guys. They they can't not play football and still make money. They, they had to work. I'd be some of the sideline jobs would be interesting to see what they did. Kind of like Charleston Hughes and Mac Henry did so many things. You'd see they were doing landscaping, cement work, brick work, any, anything they could do to find work in the off season just to keep money coming in. The uh, defensive line, you mentioned Charleston Hughes and Who's he? Uh, yeah. his absence. I mean, again, we talk about age. You're never really sure what you're going to get from a 37-year-old defensive end. But when Charleston Hughes was a 34-year-old defensive end and a 35-year-old defensive end, he led the league in sacks while playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yeah. Uh, in his absence, that is a massive question hanging over this team. The Rough Riders tied for the league, league, league lead in sacks each of the past two seasons, Charleston Hughes being an important part of that. In his absence... They've got to find a defensive end who can exert pressure. A.C. Leonard did a nice job of that in 2019. He was terrific, especially in the West Final against Winnipeg. But, but, also, had but Winnipeg Hughes. also had to worry about Charleston Hughes. So A.C. Leonard's not going to be getting the double teams that Charleston Hughes would have. Now he might be. What about Freddie Bishop III? Uh, Chad Jeter retiring, I think, threw a bit of a wrench into their plans. But especially since they like to go with a rotation of three for two defensive end spots. So, inside, it's pretty easy to call. It'll be uh, Mac Henry and, and Charbel DeBeer handling the Canadian spot and, and Micah Johnson, the other tackle. Whether he can rebound from what was not a very good 2019 season, we will see. He's now 33. But see, defense, I, argue that, I argue that with people. And when I, because I watch, I know you watch the games differently than I do, but Micah Johnson was impactful. He just didn't have the sacks. I still think he drew. Sign him then. Hmm? The Rough Riders really showed no enthusiasm. I know, that was funny. I, I know, so they well, must but I, they, I kind of think, of, they, they They put all sorts of excuses on the table, but ultimately they opted not to bring him back after 2019. He signed with BC. So if he was, if he was the crusher that people maintain he still was, even though the numbers didn't, didn't uh, uh, substantiate that? that point, why didn't they bring him back? That's a good point. Maybe well, they had to spend, they had to spend the money. Odds, he's making a lot of money. They weren't going to bring him back at that salary, which tells me he did not perform to expectations, or they would have they would have paid him that for 2020 at a, at a level that is commensurate with that performance, and they were not going to do that. So obviously there was at least a modicum of disappointment with the manner in which he performed in 2019. But they brought him back anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so now he's back. But uh, um, we'll he's see. He's also one of the good guys, too. I hate to say that. He's one of the good guys on the Rough Riders. Good to see him back. But defensive end's going to be interesting. That's, that's they're going to have to find somebody who can really annoy the passer because uh, uh, if they can get a, if they can get a apply pressure with four, that just creates all sorts of opportunities uh, for the defensive backs and the linebackers. If they have to start blitzing, and they're not a, obviously not averse to blitzing, Jason Shivers isn't as blitz-happy as Chris Jones was, um, but... Um, and isn't as wild as Chris Jones was schematically. But uh, I think a lot of the success the Riders had in, in 2019 defensively was because they, they they could be pretty sure that they could apply pressure with four people if they needed to. Do they have that assurance now? I'm not sure they do. Well, I think teams are going to – they're probably hoping teams are going to have to look out, find out where is Micah Johnson. And maybe maybe he can be getting that form where he had the 14 sacks that earned him that big salary with the Rough Riders when he originally signed. That's a big wild card. Yeah, if they, no, can, get the, if they can get the 2017 and 2018 Micah Johnson, who had you know, this kind of sack total that one would normally associate with a defensive end, that's massive. And I'm, it's not outside of his capabilities. 
And uh, if he's healthy, who knows what he can do? He, he's, he was, he's a, a, as dominant a defensive tackle as we've seen in a long time in the, in the CFL. He just hasn't done it in Saskatchewan yet, and now he's 33 years old. Yeah, that, 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 you've ribbon. I think you wrote a column on the, the, the dirty 30s in the Rough Riders. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> 33 is an interesting age. I, uh, yeah. I, Linebackers, I think, way back when three years. interesting. You went Derek Moncrief, Cameron Judge, and Solly being gone. But holy smokes, is that a huge hole? And then, holy, can they get Larry Dean? And I really think Dion Lacey is going to be. I know he's a little older too, but boy, there's a guy who was a stud defensive or will linebacker with the Eskimos. He was yeah. really good. And I think signing him, a late signing too, because he and his kid, he's played football. He spent played spent last season with the Buffalo Bills, so he hasn't been out of football completely. I think those are two great signings to the linebacking court. Still, and it's still questions at Sam. But that's, you know, that's kind of, when we were looking at three big question marks, now they're looking at just just the one, at least in my mind. And and, and that one, do they go with a Canadian, uh, as they as they did when they had Cameron Judge? No, but Cameron was a will. That's, that's a little bit of different. Cameron was a will. But do they look at Americans as Sam? Do they look at putting a Canadian, you know, in, in, the, in the linebacking yeah. trio? Or do they have to have they to could go uh, America. adjust the role? Micah Tights started once against yeah. Calgary in 2019, played pretty well. Um, there's some Canadian depth there. Uh, who knows? Uh, well, sometimes you look at it and you think that the linebackers aren't really that tough to find. You can always convert a defensive back to a linebacker and, and, and do reasonably well. Uh, remember how the Riders turned Tad Cornegay into a, def- into a linebacker? He became an all-star. After 20, 2001, George White went to the National Football League, and people are thinking, how are the Riders going to replace George White? Um, Roy Shivers brought in Reggie Hunt, and nobody really worried about that for a long time. Uh, so uh, Maurice Lloyd leaves after 2008. Hello there, Ray Williams. So linebackers are pretty repla- replaceable. That's been demonstrated through time. That doesn't make it inevitable that it will happen, but it's not as difficult as, as finding uh, finding some, you know, say a defensive end. Well, the thing is with the Sam linebacker, it's basically treated as a cover position. And I know last year I remember mistakenly I asked for the linebacker coach to do a story on Derek Moncrief. He goes. You know, I, I like the guy, but Murray, he practices with the defensive backs exclusively. That's what he does. They, he practice, Oh, yeah, I guess that's why I've never seen him on that. So they do treat that position as a cover position so they can fill it with a defensive back. There's talk of Lucius Purifoy moving in there. You know, I, I still think he's such a good defensive back. You don't fool around with him. But maybe he can have more of an impact up closer to the ball. But, you know, the Sam's going to be a question mark. There's, there's a lot of guys. You know, there's even fact you've got the Herman Reed twins who are here there to make a cool story, twin brothers on the same team. I don't know if that's happened in Rough Rider history, Rob. In twin Can't twins. think of it. Not since your lifetime, so we can look that up. That's a long time. Um, yeah. Defensive backfield. Uh, the only real question there is who plays the the, the corner Wide position side. that was uh, occupied by L.J. McRae. Yeah. Uh, again, that's not the toughest position to find. Uh there's even, there's even the potential of playing a Canadian there. If, yeah. Even when Eli Booker returns, maybe that becomes interesting. Uh, Lacombo maybe fits into that mix yeah. immediately. Uh, you can you can find a Canadian to play that position. And maybe that's the ratio switch. If they're going to play three Americans at linebacker instead of two, maybe they they flop a Canadian. Yeah. They find that Canadian spot at, at, at corner to replace LJ McRae. Aside from that, it's pretty easy. It's pretty uh, Nick easy. Marshall's playing playing corner and very well. Uh, Mike Adam will play. Will be the safety, and the defensive halfbacks will be Ed Gainey and Lucius Purifoy. So there. Ed Gainey's a little older. 
You know, Ed Gainey had an interesting 2019. I don't know if he was, they don't throw at him as much, but, you know, is he, what's he going to show? Like, you know, what happens that guys reach a certain point, like Lance Fraser was really good, and then he got, wasn't really good. So they kind of. Yeah. I'm not really too worried about Ed Gainey. I think if, if, if you're looking at Ed Gainey as a problem or a potential problem, then you really don't have problems. Is he the Ed Gainey of 2017? Probably not. But, but uh, uh, I, I think they'll be fine there. I think yeah, there's, there's no questions about the defensive backfield. Then there's depth. The combos there and all all the Americans, and you look at all the Canadians and stuff. I'm just looking at my sheet here. The special teams, lot. there's tons of questions, which 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 is a little surprising uh, in light of the fact that, that Craig Dickinson is one of the foremost special teams coordinators in the league and, and I think one of the best the league has ever had. But I'm not sure you can look at their special teams and find an area where you can feel – that you can't poke holes in, and I would the exception I would make is punter. Now people can look at the net punting average that John Ryan had in, in 2019 and say it's unspectacular. He averaged 48.8 yards a punt, and uh, it's a team record. Uh, John Ryan really isn't a concern. Yeah, they've got uh, who knows they they dress, they've got a they've got a global punter now, but I don't think John Ryan's going to be in any danger of losing his job. Brett Lowther is a bit of an enigma in that. I mean, he, he he was he kicked at ninety percent uh, at a ninety percent accuracy rate in in twenty eighteen and almost broke Dave Ridgeway's rider record in that in terms of percentage. Terrific year. Um, one element of of Brett Lowther's performance in twenty nineteen was terrific. When called upon in the clutch, he delivered. But his overall percentage was in the seventies, and uh, he set a much higher standard. And the, the standard is much higher for kickers in general. Do the riders get the Brett Lowther of 2018 or the Brett Lowther of 2019? There's a huge difference between those two. Yeah, that's a big question. I think there's a big question. But he was hurt a lot. And he had grip. Like, if you're a kicker, if you have hip and groin injuries, those are pretty serious. He also had an eye issue, too, I remember reading somewhere. So, But he's still, you know, he's, he's their best option because their only option is a global kicker on the team. So they don't, they're not even bring anybody in. And I, maybe that's a sign of the salary cap or how things are, limitations of training camp. Because you bring in a couple of kickers to hang out and to see what they can do. So we'll see what happens with this global guy. I, I don't really think Brett Lowther is going to be a concern. I think, I think what they're going to get is, is a lot closer to 2018 than 2019. And, and his reliability in the clutch in 2019 should also be noted. As far as the He's returner, also four for four in that West final too. Yeah, and, you know, and he had that awful day in the in the uh, against yeah. the uh, Evans against the former <laughs> the Evans team with the previous moniker, uh, but but he ended up kicking the game winner, what turned out to be the game winner in that one too. The return specialist, interesting. Kyron Moore can return punts pretty well. He took two for touchdowns in, in 2018. Lucius Purifoy, when the Riders have used him on kickoff returns, has been effective. Took one to the house in uh, 2019. So did Marcus Thigpen, but he's no longer here. And his effectiveness really had diminished as a punt returner in in 2019. So I think Craig Dickinson has said, and you've written, that they'd like to have a a full-time return specialist. uh, Who backs up. Who can back up somewhere else. Um, Who that might be, good question. Well, you 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 look at the running backs, there's names that I throw out there, Jamal Morrow, Carlos Henderson. Carlos Henderson's a a receiver. They've done that. If you look through the defensive backs, they all return punts and kicks in college or, or high school or a little bit in the NFL. There's another guy. I want a, I want an offensive player as a returner. These guys are on defense for a reason. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a, so, uh, 
I've, lost, um, I've forgotten the guy's name who I threw out of my. But they're gonna they're gonna need they're gonna need a they're gonna need much better return game. Uh, well, it's all about uh, yeah. Their punt they were not they have they're, they're last last in the league with punt returns. I'm just trying to find this. Uh, as far as as far as the kick coverage, I mean, they there was a real propensity for allowing big plays via returns in, in 2019, and that has to stop. Um, five touchdowns on kick on kick returns. That's a big. That was I know you, and I, I kind of think we could do we forget about that. Like it's funny, like they got so good over the days off, eh? over this long stretch. The Riders went from a team that lost the Western Final to they kind of. And some people find almost won the Great Cup. They just seem to have improved so much. Because they haven't played, so we've just been looking. Does that make sense to you? you? Know what I'm trying to say that they just we've had so much speculation on what they are and talking. Well, about you're all saying they're bringing things. this guy back. They're bringing this guy back. You know, they yeah. had this good season overall, and they brought back most of the core. But that's also a core that didn't get to the Grey Cup, and uh, and there's some as as is always going to be the case. There's some question marks, and and the Rough Riders also dealt with some fortuitous um, circumstances in uh, in in 2019 in that they never beat the Calgary Stampeders they were 0 for 2 against them but they didn't have to play the Calgary Stampeders yeah. in the playoffs they ended up playing Winnipeg and well that didn't go very well either but they still got to prove that they can beat Calgary with this group and yeah. I don't care who Calgary has at camp and their receiving core for example doesn't include the big names that it once did but I'm always going to look at Calgary and and think that's where that's where the bar is going to be set because you know they're going to bring in people Edmonton uh, they look like they're loaded on offense, yeah. and uh, and Jamie Elizondo is there, and Trevor Harris. They've got such a good receiving core. So I think, uh, you know, Winnipeg's a big question because who knows how long Zach Claros is going to be uh, able yeah. to play. That's such such a wild card. But with the with the quarterbacks going down left and right in 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 uh, in 2019, that allowed that created some circumstances. I'm not taking anything away from how the Riders did in 2019, but. The, the landscape of the division also uh, uh, allowed them to do what they did. And so uh, if we're dealing with an all-things-being-equal situation and a lot of the uncertainty over the past year and a half and the hi- hiatus, it's really tough to say how the, how the, the, the horse race is going to shape up this year. Just because the Rough Riders finished first in 2019 doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be among the top teams in 2021. They need some... They need some good luck and they need some good fortune, and so do the teams that they uh, they rival. Because yeah, so uh, the riders riders dealt with a lot of uh, the other West right. Division teams dealt with a lot of adversity that year. Well, you know the BC Lions are going to be better. Their offensive line would struggle quite a bit in the first part of the season. It actually, was horrible in the first part of the season. And don't call me Mike Michael Riley is going to be on his feet a whole lot more. That's just a little joke there. I wanted to thought I wanted to use that. Uh, the, the Lions are going to be better. So they're not going to be as, as you know, the Riders are going to have a little more competition in the division. I think it's going to be a competitive division. It's only 14 games, boy, and no preseason. So you can't really, you know, 18 games, you kind of had two games to kind of lollygag your way into the season because you still had a good chance to make the playoffs while you were still finding yourself. I think it's going to be 14 season, put your foot to the gas, and you got to go. So there's going to be more incentive on getting off to a good start. You lose two or three in a row to kick off the season especially with the Riders with their home-loaded season, home-loaded schedule, which they really like. They love having home games in the summer as much as people say. Well, you're not going to be able to feast on the East as much because of the imbalanced schedule. You've got three games against the Calgary Stampeders in succession, and that's a team they still haven't beaten under this regime. So uh, they're going to face some challenges that uh, they didn't encounter in in 2019. 
I know this is taking us back to another spot, but I wonder what the impact of not having any preseason games is going to be on the product come the regular season. I would think I not much. What did you watch the NFL last year? Not that, yeah, <laughs> kind know, of went uh, yeah, it's true, they, true. they really didn't have a lot of issues. Um, I I'd be just as happy to dispense with it every year. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, yeah. Um, I know it's not rider related, but no, the, you, the, finally this XFL talk is over. Oh, thank it's goodness. Over. Thank God. Play, praise, praise the football gods. What a, what? I remember that. What a, what a unnecessary diversion. Out, Sorry, what's that? When that press release came out, I remember calling you saying, I don't understand what this is all about. And yeah. finally, it was talking to talk to talk. And I realized, and I understand the CFL has got to find other streams of revenue. That's the part of the global incentive. Like, they've tapped everything you can in Canada right now. So, they have to find other ways to bring in money in regards to whatever business model they're working on. And I understand that. But I just thought this XFL talk was almost ludicrous. And the waste of a lot of time was devoted to it. And I kept going, well, I don't see it going away. And finally, the right decision was made. But maybe by looking at the XFL, the CFL looked further inside, did some navel gazing and saw what things they can do, what things they can take from that product and maybe market itself. But Let's just concentrate on the football the Rough Riders have, the CFL has right now, and worry about the XFL kind of thing a little bit later. But, you know, another thing, and I'm going to throw this. It was a good thing they got that out of the way before the training camps began, because there wasn't that, that wasn't going to be hovering. You know, and I think some of the stories that would have been done early in the season, eventually somebody's going to start talking to some of the Canadian players and saying, okay, are you worried that beyond this season there won't be jobs for Canadians or starting positions for Canadians if this XFL model takes shape? I think now they can look forward and, and know what their model is going to be, even structurally. And that distraction is gone. What bothers me is that a league that constantly talks about accessibility and transparency still has yet to explain really what they were talking about, why they were talking with them, and why these talks came to an end. Uh, I'm sick of the double talk. If you're going to talk about being as transparent as you as you portray yourselves as being, well, um Maybe actually walk that talk. Um, it's just, it's ludicrous that it was announced so vaguely and, and disposed of so vaguely. Address it. And that's one of the failings of the Canadian Football League as a whole. And one of the things I think they need to look at uh, as, they, as they move forward, I think they've got to re-engage with a lot of people, fans, media. Uh, I think they've got to redouble their efforts to get themselves as deeply into the football community as they can. And I'm not just talking about their constituency. They've got who they've got as a fan base, and it's a pretty significant fan base. Even if it doesn't have the the the, the demographic, it's not doesn't have the demographic necessarily that they want, and it's not as big as they want. It's still significant, and it will still support the product loyally to a certain threshold. You've got that. You know you're going to get a certain number of people in Winnipeg, Calgary, uh, Edmonton, uh, uh, Hamilton, Ottawa. You've, you're you're pretty sure that there's there's some markets that are that are going to give you enough to be sustainable. Yeah, there's some problem areas, but how much did they market the team in BC? How much did they market the Toronto Argonauts in the latter years that David Braley was there? They, they, they lament the result without, while well, basically perpetuating the result by not marketing the team and not pushing it. So yeah, they talk about how the business model is flawed and they, they want to uh, have a better business model, but where was this awareness and where was this proactiveness at a time when it was still apparent that the business model was flawed because in many cases they weren't marketing the team. Yeah. Or if they were, it was it was marginally. 
let's get out there. Let's market the teams. Let's re-engage with the media. There's so many kids playing flag football and touch football. There's, 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 there's a female football constituency. There's, there's so many new Canadians. Uh, my mom and dad moved to Canada in 1956. They'd never heard of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. In 1957, mom went to every game. She loved it. She was a new Canadian. They engaged my mom. Eventually, I became a fan. Yes, this is a rant, but get yourselves embedded in the Canadian football uh, community as a whole. Talk to Jim Mullen with Football Canada. Talk to uh, Michael Thomas with Saskatchewan Amateur Football. Just just entrench yourself and work with them. You've got a built-in audience of young fans who are playing uh, flag football, playing tackle football, playing whatever, touch football. Get them interested in your product so that they're not uh, they're not uh, they're playing Canadian flag football, but they're wearing an Aaron Rodgers jersey. Make them make them fans of Cody Fajardo. You've got that opportunity because your players are accessible. So use that to your advantage. And have they have they done that satisfactorily? Not even close. So yeah, the business model needs 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 uh, some addressing. And yeah, the demographic isn't what they want. But that's that's not the fault of the people who are younger who aren't going or who aren't interested, that is the fault of the Canadian Football League and the member teams for not reaching out to that, that constituency that's already played that card and showed that they're interested in football, but they're not engaging with them. And that has to change, and if it doesn't, the CFL is going to be consistently at this level where it's below the threshold that it covets. That's my speech for the day. I don't oh, think we Rob, I know you're supposed to, I don't rant. think we can end on a better note. That was a really good rant. <laughs> I think it was about three minutes. That, well, well, we're we're supposed to take a breath. Sorry about so that. So I think we should end on that nuts. note. So we can talk this over each other. nuts. Anyway, I think we should end on that note. I think <laughs> that's a strong, solid ending. You, know, you don't like no, to bury the lead, but that's my uh, dog. I mean, there she is. There's Candy, who is somehow managing to stay conscious. A little over so we see her face. How come she got gray hair like you, I guess, eh? A little bit of gray. Well, she's, she's lived with me for two and a half months. I'm surprised uh, yes. Yes. it's not all gray. So. Thank you for being with me for that last, that last little rant. I wasn't expecting to go off on that tangent, but it just bugs me. So okay. I feel much so, lighter and cleansed now. I forgot. Are you going to read the uh, Oh, we've thing? got the message. We've got the public service announcement. Mark Melnichuk, our, our producer, has, has implored us to read this. Um, do you want to handle the nouns and I'll do the verbs? Or how should, <laughs> how should we do this? Um, let me find this. I've got it. Here we go. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have no idea what Stitcher is. And what's Twitch? What is Twitch? Uh, if, you'd like us to, if you'd like to send us a question, you can email me. It's rvanstone at postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show. You can follow me at, at, at Rob Vanstone or Murray at, at, at Murray. LP. And thanks to my dog, it's a podcast. So, Murray, please save us. And let people know that, uh, I guess we can say starting Tuesday, we're back weekly. I don't know if we'll have rants like that by Rob, everyone, to uh, conclude our podcast, but uh, starting Tuesday, we'll have, we'll have actually something, some observations from training camp to provide people and uh, let, give them a good idea of what's going on. And just uh, maybe give people our paper plug. you got to read the leader post. Find uh, We're both going to be out there. Our brothers up north are going to be also helping out with the coverage, so we're going to be uh, as much coverage as we can. We're going to make up for 600 days of uh, missed football by filling every nook and cranny and finding everything we can to do about the Rough Riders. 
There won't be cyberspace left once we're done. And I'm really interested to see what Cody Fajardo does, and we're going to be watching him a lot. So I know it may be overkill, but there's – He's going to be a focus of a lot of attention, and rightfully so, as he gets his chance to be the first starter right from the word go and to see if we can take him and hopefully miss the goalposts this time when he throws the pass for Kyron Moore. Awesome. For Murray McCormick and and Candy, look at her. Uh, I'm Rob Vanstone. Thanks for being with us, and we'll do this again every Tuesday uh, and, and as long as we continue to breathe. Take care and uh, have a great day.